0: Welcome to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel, and it is Tuesday, August 3rd, 2021, and we are live. Some of you heard the intro there from 910 AM, the Superstation, where they have some excerpts of uh, me speaking (laughs) over Snap. I've got the power. I need to get a copy of that. (laughs) I need to get a copy of that. That's good. That's a good promo. That's imaging. That's what they call in the radio business imaging. So, (laughs) well, look, it's uh, been a very, very busy day today. And uh, I was working on uh, content for the show on top of a whole bunch of other things. Uh, so on today's show, uh, today is August third. August third is Black Women's Equal Pay Day. Black Women's Equal Pay Day. Now we always celebrate African American women and Black Girl Magic and things like this, right? Black Women's Equal Pay Day <laughs> is not necessarily something to celebrate. We need to, we need to understand it and help correct it, but it, it ain't. It's not really something to celebrate. It's a, it's a legacy of white supremacy and slavery, okay, <laughs> and discrimination. So what is Black Women's Equal Pay Day? Well, Black Women's Equal Pay Day is the day that uh, African-American women, it marks the day that African-American women uh, the following year make the same amount of money that the average white male made the previous year, okay? It takes the average African-American woman 20 months to make the same amount of money that the average white male makes in uh, 12 months, so the average african-american woman makes uh 63 cents on the dollar uh and you know in her working lifetime there was a a study there's an article from blackenterprise.com um from i think a couple of years ago and we'll pull up this article it deals with how the average african-american woman uh loses about a million dollars in her working lifetime okay Loses about a million dollars in her working lifetime because of the racial wage gap. Because of the racial wage gap. So there are a number of articles today being written about this. Fortune.com has an article. NBC News uh, has articles on this. Now I, I talk. I deal with um, Black women's equal pay day every every year. Uh, it's usually like the first or second week of August. And the amount. Uh, varies, Uh, some some years is 63 cents, some years is 67 cents. But this impacts not just African-American women, but African-American men and African-American family and community. So this is something we should all be concerned about. Uh, There's an article from fortune.com why black women's wage gap is a problem for everyone. Why black women's wage gap is a problem for everyone. On Tuesday, the average black woman will find what will have finally earned the same amount as the average non-Hispanic white man earned a year earlier, eight months later. That's a problem, not just for black women who lose out on $900,000 in lifetime earnings, but for everyone says experts on equal pay, but for everyone says experts on e- equal pay. Well, it, 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 everybody loses out period. Okay, you don't have to be an expert on equal pay. You just have to understand how the economy works in a consumer based economy. Uh, So we'll talk about Black Women's Equal Pay Day. And being um, speaking of black girl magic, Simone Biles returned to uh, Olympic competition uh, early this morning. And I went to bed. It was something like four forty five in the morning in Tokyo when the balance beam competition. Uh, started. I went to bed like 4.30. I recorded it. I, I haven't had a chance to go back and record. It's been so busy today. And, you know, as as we reported yesterday, um, historian and anthropologist and, and lecturer and prolific author and a friend of mine, Dr. Renoko Rashidi. Renoko Rashidi passed away uh, August 2nd, 2021, passed away yesterday. He was in Egypt, giving a tour in Egypt and passed away from a heart attack. So we're dealing with that. And um you know this is just been it's just been a crazy couple of days tony broader reached out to me the day i hit tony broader up yesterday um and and uh tony and uh renoko have done lectures together tony posted information about uh renoko passing and everything so um i'm going to reach back out to tony cuz i want to get him on the show again but um Simone biles uh, Simone Biles won a bronze medal in the balance beam, and I, I went to bed about 15 minutes. I, I, I was tired. Uh, I went to bed about 15 minutes before the competition started, so I recorded it. I said I'll go back and watch it. Um, so she won a bronze medal, and you know, and and, and everybody was happy for her. well, most people. Not not uh, I guess not allowed the critics. But uh, <laughs> most people were happy for. Her. So we're going to discuss that as well. Uh, Simone uh, Simone Biles returns and wins bronze on the balance beam. And she also talked about uh, part of what was causing her to have the mental blockage. She also talked about what was going on in her personal life that caused her um, problems as well. So we'll discuss that. And, and then uh, we'll talk uh, some more about the passing of uh, Renoko Rashidi. Brilliant, brilliant brother. You know, Tony uh, uh, said, you know, he's irreplaceable. Tony Browder, when he sent me a message this morning, he said Renoko is irreplaceable. And I don't know, out, out of all the scholars I, I, I know and have known and have interviewed, and I was going through my archives today. I, I pulled up a interview that I did with Renoco, uh, uh, the one I was trying to get from 2017 when I interviewed him here on 9:10 10 AM Superstation. I, I gotta find that one in the archives. It wasn't playing um, correctly uh, from blog talk radio. So I put up an interview that I did with him from 2014. We're gonna share an excerpt of that because that deals with the black Madonnas. The, uh, the statues of the Black Madonna and child in, in Europe, and it deals with the uh, African presence in, in Europe and the Moors and things like this. Um, so uh, I don't know any other scholar uh, like Renoco. And uh, of all the scholars I know, I mean, he, this brother's been to uh, about 135 or more islands and countries. I'm looking at his bio right here on his website, com. And, um, uh, it says 124 countries, but I think, I think, um, it's about 135 now. I think it's at least 135. And, um, I would see him, uh, sometimes in Atlanta at the, uh, liberated minds, black homeschool and education expo. um. Liberated Minds Black Homeschool and Education Expo uh, in Atlanta takes place usually the third weekend in July in Atlanta. And he spoke there at least, uh, I think, a couple of times. Um, Shout out to Queen Thais, who uh, organizes that. And also, I would uh, see him here in Detroit periodically when uh, Minister Malicia Bass would uh, bring him uh, to Detroit to speak and i think that's when i first met him okay years ago maybe 2010 something like that years ago and then uh we know in about 2012 i think it was he was in uh, hidden colors 2 when hidden colors 2 came out but uh brilliant scholar so we'll talk some about uh uh Rinoco. and Renoco connects us to uh, Dr. Ivan Van Sertema, because he was a student of Dr. Ivan Van Sertema. Uh, so a lot of people are shocked and reeling and mourning the passing of uh, historian and anthropologist and scholar, uh, lecturer, prolific writer. He wrote books. He wrote articles. Uh, Renoko Rashidi. OK, so we're going to deal with those topics on today's show. Now on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world, because right now it's corrects wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you can control the compass of his or her actions. Because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now, we deal with a number of different topics here on the African History Network show. We deal with current events and history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Did I say relationships? Hopefully, I did. Relationships. Um, sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T. The 22828. The sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T the two two eight two eight the sign up for our email newsletter also visit our website African history network.com African history network.com sign up for our email newsletter also uh, you can still register for the uh, 10-week online course that I teach the new 10-week online course that I teach this is on Saturdays 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power 1865 to 1968 from the Civil War to the civil rights movement and black power 1865 to 1968. Okay. And uh, this is a 10 week online course. We do the classes live. All the sessions are recorded. We do the class live. All the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch it uh, over and over again, even after the course is over with, you can go back and uh, watch it over and over again. Each class we go through and analyze an approximately 10 year period of history after the civil war ends and we started in 1865, but I gave a recap of what, uh, what led up to the civil war starting in 1861. And each class we go through and analyze an approximately 10 year period of time to understand what happened uh, to us after slavery ended. What happened to us after slavery ended? What happened during Reconstruction? Why did Reconstruction end? What was Reconstruction? Take you through that period of time and the Compromise of 1877, um, which ends a period of a lot of advancement for African Americans, the Compromise of 1877 between the Republicans and the Democrats. Uh, we take it through the Jim Crow era and uh, a reversal of our rights and uh, a escalation of the imposing of the black codes and things like this. And then going to uh, the, the the 20th century, going to the early 1900s and uh, uh, World War One, nineteen fourteen 1914 and 1918, the Great Migration, 1915, and 1970, World War Two, 1941, 1945. What hap- What happens after World War Two? Then the civil rights movement and the black power movement. Okay. So this is a fantastic course. Uh, I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips, uh, visit our website, African history, visit our website, African history, network.com African history, network.com. Uh, we have the information right on the home page, and then, uh, click on, uh, click on register here. It takes you to the next page. And click on enroll. Class is regularly one hundred thirty dollars. It's on sale uh, eighty dollars. As soon as you register, there's bonus content that you can start watching. Okay. As soon as you register, there's bonus content that um, you can start watching also, and then you'll be ready for class on Saturday, uh, three p.m. to five p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, you can watch from around the world. You can use this also with your children. I would say the information is like PG thirteen. You can use this with your children as well okay we're going to post a link here uh, right here on the thread of the broadcast so you can register for the course and you can also visit africanhistorynetwork.com africanhistorynetwork.com and register there as well all right we're coming up on a break um you listen to the african history network show right here on 9 10 a.m superstation wfdf i'm your host brother michael mhotep we'll be back in a few minutes
1: black on purpose television network yes black on purpose television network all black all positive all the time the largest black on streaming television network in the world bringing our people together worldwide controlling our messages our story our way black tv the way it should be black music Black history and more. 30 plus channels, thousands of shows, Black on purpose television network. Subscribe
2: now. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, president and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365 and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, Matic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free, one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know We offer top nationwide high-speed Internet service providers, voiceover IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at
0: jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. All right, welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is uh, Tuesday August 3rd, 2021, and we are live. All right, calling numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the calling number if you have a, a question or comment. 313-778-7600 is the calling number if you have a question or comment. I just sent you a clip, Shakita. Uh, cue that up. It's, for, it's about Black Women's Equal pay day from uh, Morning Joe, please. Thank you. All right. So as I said at the beginning of the show, uh today is Black Women's Equal Pay Day. Now, a lot of people may celebrate, oh, it's Black Women's Equal Pay Day, it's something great. Well <laughs> we should uh study it, but it ain't really something great. It's it's because of white supremacy and racism, okay? Um so each year I talk about Black Women's Equal Pay Day, and Black Women's Equal Pay Day marks the day. That uh, it takes the average African-American woman to make the same amount of money that the average white man made the previous year in 12 months. It takes the average African-American woman 20 months to make the same amount of money that the average white male made in 12 months. Uh, If we look at this article here from NBC News, black women's equal pay, black women work 579 days to earn what white men do in 365 days. Now for all the people to say, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and uh, try harder and all this, that ain't how you did it. I mean, we could deal with the history. Uh, read this book right here, How White Folks Got So Rich, The Untold Story of American White Supremacy. That's not how you did it. August 3rd, women's Mar- Equal Pay Day, or the day black women must work into 2021 to finally catch up to what white non-Hispanic men earned in 2020. Author Minda Hartz, M-I-N-D-A, Minda Hartz says companies now have a unique opportunity to even the playing field. Companies have a unique opportunity to even the playing field. Uh, uh, Now, over the last year, women have left the workforce in unprecedented numbers as a result of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, and if and if you are African American or Latino, I don't like use I don't like black or brown. African American or Latino, or Latino woman, chances are you have fared even worse. This year, Black women's equal pay day falls on Tuesday, August third, and it means Black women must work an extra 214 days. Must work a two uh, extra 214 days to catch up with what white, non-Hispanic men made in 2020 across industries. Black women are paid only 63 cents for every dollar made by white men, according to the National Women's Law Center, 63 cents for every dollar made by white men. So when see racism as a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race, which comes out of the ideology of European white supremacy. Okay. Racism is is a power structure. Racism occurs when one race of people control the majority of wealth, power, resources, benefits, privileges, land, access to education, access to opportunity, media, jobs, et cetera. And they use that to marginalize, subordinate and do harm to another race of people. Uh, So this is this is a real life uh, effect of this. Okay, this is a real life effect of this. Now, there was also uh, a good article from Black Enterprise that we're going to go to here in just a minute. And I cite this a lot in some of my lectures and things like this. And, you know, when I, when I speak across the country, I, I talk about Black Women's Equal Pay Day. And I'm surprised how many African-American women don't know about Black Women's Equal Pay Day. And I say, wait a second, hold on. You're a Black woman. How is it you don't know about this? So let's remember that the workforce was not equitable in many industries for women of color, even prior to the pandemic. And groups that are often hit the hardest during a crisis tend to take the longest to recover. Despite the challenges that many women of color face in the workplace, the lack of sponsorship, upward mobility, mobility, barriers, and the wage gap, uh, uh Menda said I'm optimistic about our future I'm optimistic about our future Menda uh hearts now companies and organizations now have a unique opportunity to play a vital role in even in evening the playing field for women of color uh number 1 They can have more inclusive hiring practices, more inclusive hiring practices. Only one in five C-suite executives at Fortune 500 companies is a woman. According to the 2019 McKinsey study conducted in partnership with leanin.org. And for women of color, it's even more isolating with just one in 25 in C-suite roles. Uh, Despite this current reality there's good news companies can change and implement hiring practices companies can change and implement hiring practices that center on um african-american women and latino women that have not been prioritized in the past i'm not suggesting preferential treatment what i'm recommending is for companies and organizations to be intentional to be intentional about having uh di- having a diverse slate of candidates for all future positions at every level uh in addition a diverse hiring committee should be formed to participate in the interview process so much bias happens during the hiring process so much bias happens during the hiring process and by modifying Current hiring practices that might skew heavily to one demographic, gender, or race, implementing an equitable hiring framework will inevitably benefit the recruitment and advancement of women of color. Uh, next, we have pay transparency. Pay transparency. As we mark Black Women's Equal Pay Day, it should be a rem- reminder to all companies that they must work to find an equitable solution. The answer is simple. It won't happen if companies don't prioritize equal pay for women. It won't happen if companies don't prioritize equal pay for all women. The first, a first and important step is for all companies and organizations to conduct annual or quarterly pay audit reports and make them available to their employees. Between 2016 and 2020, only 22% of companies reported performing salary audits. Only 22% between 2016 and 2020, that four year period of time, only 22% of companies reported performing salary audits, which can be used to assess any differences in pay related to gender and race. If we want to recruit and retain women of color, then we have to make sure there are no signs of wage theft practices. Okay, now, if we look at this article here that I talk about often, uh, this is from 2019, October 2019. This is uh, from blackenterprise.com. Black women lose out over one million dollars in their careers thanks to the wage gap. Black women lose out over $1 million in their careers thanks to the wage gap. This is from October 17th, uh, 2019. This impacts not just African-American women, but African-American families and our community. Uh, in, in the article, it says uh, a black woman will lose out on $946,120, 946000 $120, okay? Uh over a 40-year career, if she continues to make 61 cents on the dollar that the every, that, 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 that every white man does, every white man earns due to the wage gap. This was an analysis by the National Women's Law Center, okay? Um the press release stated assuming the press release stated assuming she and her white non-hispanic male counterpart begin work at age 20 a an african american woman would have to work until she is 86 years old an african american woman would have to work until she's 86 years old to catch up to what a white non-hispanic man has been paid by age 60 so if, if this the average African-American woman loses out almost a million dollars in lost earnings due to the wage gap, not because she didn't do the job. Okay. It's due to the, it's due to the racial wage gap. She loses out almost a million dollars due to the racial wage gap. That's money that could be used to pay off student loans That's money. that can be used to buy property, start businesses, help, uh, put your, put your children through, put your children through college buy stocks, all different types of things like this. It's not that uh, she didn't do the work. It's not that she did like 63% of the work. No, she did 100% of the work, but she got paid 63 cents on the dollar. The National Law Center found that black women face even a, a even larger pay disparity in certain states, in the state of Louisiana which has one of the highest poverty rates in the country, by the way. And that's where Angola prison is also, Louisiana. In the state of Louisiana, black women are paid on average 47 cents for every dollar their white non-Hispanic male counterpart makes, 47 cents on the dollar, which is the worst state for black women's wage equality. Okay, now this was in uh, 20, this is like in 2019, okay? In, uh, in about, right, right around 2019. Now, uh, okay, so read the rest of this article here from Black Enterprise. Black women lose out over $1 million in their careers thanks to the uh, wage gap. Should, should, should say a racial wage gap. This is what it is, the racial wage gap. Now, the article goes on to say, because you know, we know African-American women have the most student loan debt on average out of anybody. African-American women uh, are, are more educated uh, than anybody. And that's based upon percentage of the population enrolled in college is about when the study came out 2016, 2017, something like that. It was about nine uh, percent uh, of African-American women were enrolled in college. Advanced education among African-American women has not been shown to lower the wage gap. Now I'm not saying don't get advanced degrees, but let's. we have to look at this here. This is something that people don't talk about. Advanced education among African-American women has not been shown to lower the wage gap. In fact, the gap is largest for the most educated African-American women. The gap is largest for the most educated African African-American women. Doctorate degree holders, who are African-American women tend to make 60% of what their white male counterparts make. Doctorate degree holders who are African-American women tend to make 60% of what their white male counterparts make. Now, they don't get a discount on student loans. They don't just have, they don't have to pay 63% of the student loans back or 60% of the student loans, but they have to pay back 100%. African American women have the highest student loan debt of any racial or ethnic group. For an undergraduate degree, the average African American woman carries nearly thirty thousand four hundred dollars in debt. Thirty thousand four hundred dollars in debt, compared to nineteen thousand five hundred for white men. The wage gap. The 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 wage gap lessens Black women's ability. To pay off educational debt, creating an additional barrier to saving money that could be used to buy a home, start a business, or use for emergencies. So this is what racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race. So for all the people, black conservatives including. For all the people want to say, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and try harder. Why don't you tell people to pay a fair wage to African-American women and African-American men for that matter? See, they don't want to deal with things like this because this exposes the racism. And you have a lot of people who who say try harder, but they don't want to level the playing field because they benefit from the playing field not being level all right i want to go to this clip here this is from i'm going to go to clip uh one shakita this is from uh this is from morning joe msnbc uh from august 3rd 2021 um tuesday marks black women's equal Pay Day. uh august 3rd marks black women's equal Pay Day, or the day black women must work in 2, 2021 the year 2021 to catch up to what white non-Hispanic men earned in 2020. Author Minda Hartz and journalist Aaron Haynes join Morning Joe to discuss. Let's go to this clip. Take it off mute.
3: I mean Simone Biles. Go,
0: go to the go to the she other clip. Is the second is this stop stop the clip? Is the separate email I just sent you? It has the clip for Morning Joe. Black Women's Equal Payday. That's the clip from Simone Biles. Black Women's Equal Payday. I sent it in a separate email. All right. While we get that queued up, uh just press play when you get it queued up. There was also an article from um uh CNBC that dealt with how black women lose out on almost a million dollars in their working lifetime as well okay uh that's from uh CNBC and we're going to pull that one up now I just posted the link from uh Black Enterprise and you know when, when I do lectures and I and I share this information with African American women I'm surprised how many don't know about this and don't know about black women's equal pay day So this is something that all now all the celebrities, in African American celebrities, this is something they should be talking about. Let's go to this clip.
4: May not allow you to know, like I said, how much the person sitting next to you is making. Some may even discipline you for asking that. That has to change. Too often, secrecy is part of the problem. We know information is power. You can't solve the problem if you don't know you're not getting paid fairly. My administration is going to fight for equal pay has it become a reality for all women. It's about justice. It's about fairness. It's about living up to our values and who we are as a nation. Equal pay makes all of us stronger.
3: President Biden speaking on Equal Pay Day back on March 24th. The day represents how far into the year women must work on average to earn what men earned in the previous year. And the disparity is greater for black women. Nearly five months later, today is black women's equal pay day, meaning that black women will have to work an extra five months to catch up five months right now that's 63 cents for every dollar a white man earns and caregiving to the mix add that and you will find that black mothers make just 52 cents for every dollar a white father makes the pandemic has only amplified these pre-existing inequities let's bring in author minda hartz her book is entitled the memo what women of color need to know to secure a seat at the table also with us aaron haynes editor-at-large for the 19th, the nonprofit newsroom, focused on women, politics, and policy. Erin, let's start with you with these numbers. These statistics really, they're they staggering and also demoralizing. What more do you know about the inequity between black women and white men or even black women and white women in terms of equal pay? Yeah, I mean, it's just as you
1: said, 579 days. Uh, black women had to work extra in order to earn what white men earned in 2020, and that is a figure that should be alarming to everybody. Uh, and we're covering this over the 19th. We've got a story up right now that shows, you know, one report estimating that the executive and management opportunity gap between white women and white men will close in 2041, but predicted that the gap between women of color and white men may not close until 2124, which is 103 years from now, by, by the way. Um, so there's an opportunity gap between white men and all other demographics, but black women and white men have the most significant disparity. And look, the bottom line, Mika, is that black women are doing our part. I mean, we're hyper-educated, we're qualified, and yet this gap persists. And so it's time for everybody who's committed to equity to also step up to help to close this gap. But that's not gonna happen until this country starts recognizing black women as equal worthy of equal treatment in this country. And the pay gap is one way to address this, but the reality today is that this is really part of a much larger conversation about who is reflected, uh, whose values are reflected in this country, and how that value is reflected.
3: Jumping off that last point, Minda Hart, uh, how do we solve the problem? How do we even begin to solve the problem in terms of how black women are viewed in the workplace, which then ultimately leads to how they are paid in the workplace? And also, what can black women do? uh to to help rectify the problem as well.
5: Yeah, good to see you, Karen and Aaron. So, a couple of things. We really need to focus on what companies and organizations can do to solve this problem, and one of those things is normalizing pay transparency. Between 2016 and 2018, only 22% of companies reported even having salary audits. So we need to normalize transparency and that will help recruit and retain women of color of black women specifically when we know that there's not demonstration of wage best practices. Number two, inclusive hiring practices, restructuring and of prioritizing black women in the workplace at every level of the company. And that's also including um, having a diverse hiring plate and making sure that the people doing the hiring are reflected of those black women so that they can see themselves in those roles. And lastly, what women of color, I'm sorry, black women can do. We can continue to advocate for ourselves, articulate our value and quantify our work. Make sure that people know what we need, and let's build a culture of allies inside the workplace. So if you are a manager, this is also your opportunity to make sure that everyone is invested in on your team.
4: So, Mika, jumping in on this really quickly, you worked with the Obama administration. They asked you to, to work with them on transparency, the very transparency that we're hearing about this morning. about, about how, how, every company? should let people know what others are making uh, in, in their similar positions uh, to, to see through that transparency how fair the pay is.
3: Yeah, no, it was through the White House Council of Women and Girls, headed up by Tina Chen. Valerie Jarrett was involved, and Equal Pay Day was a big deal. It's salary audits which companies really push back on for a number of reasons, and also inclusive hiring practices. I talk a lot, Aaron Haynes, about meeting people where they are instead of trying to get people to fit into corporate slots that were created years and years ago that nobody really fits into. Uh, So this is a huge effort. um, And what we're going to do is continue this conversation. Uh, Go to our website, knowyourvalue.com. You're going to hear a lot more from Minda Hart and Aaron Haynes on this incredibly important issue. Thank you both uh for being on the show this morning and I'll see you over on the website.
0: Okay. That's from uh Morning Joe. That's from Morning Joe, uh MSNBC, August 3rd, 2021. Uh so check out that clip. Uh the name of that name of that segment for Morning Joe, Tuesday marks Black Women's Equal Pay Day. Tuesday marks Black Women's Equal Pay Day. That's from uh Uh, MSNBC. We'll post a link here to, uh, that clip. And that's on MSNBC's website. Okay. Now, uh, if we look at this one here, this article quickly here from Fortune, then we're going to go to the story about Simone Biles and we'll talk about Renoka Rashidi. Uh, so get the clip for Simone Biles ready because we're going to that next. Why Black Women's Wage Gap is a Problem for Everyone. Why Black Women's Wage Gap? Is a problem for everyone, August 3rd, 2021, from fortune.com. And uh, in the article, uh, it talks about how, for um, black women, of whom many are uh, the primary breadwinners of their households, the pay gap of 63 cents on the dollar represents more than just a loss of money, represents more than just a loss of money. Says Shannon Williams, the director of Equal Pay Today, a project of um, Equal Pay Today, a project of equal uh, of equal rights advocates. Experts are reflecting on this wage gap on the date known as Black Women's Equal Pay, which comes four months after Equal Pay Day. comes months after women's equal pay day, which is largely for white women, averaged for all women, reflecting the larger pay gap black women face. Now, uh, Shannon Williams says, quote, the issue of equal pay is not just a women's issue because it trickles down into our families and into our communities. And it trickles down into our overall economy. This is what I was saying a few minutes ago. If the uh, end quote, if the gender pay gap were eliminated, if the gender pay gap were eliminated, on average, an African-American woman working full time year round would have enough money for their two and a half years of childcare. They would have enough money. uh, They they would have money for more than two and a half years of child care, more than two and a half years of additional tuition and fees for a four-year public university or 22 more months of rent, according to the National Partnership for Women and Families. So when we deal with the eviction moratorium and we deal with the eviction landslide. um, This is proportionately negatively impact African-American women and families. To begin to rectify the wage gap between black women and white men, companies need to make changes to their hiring and promotion practices, uh, says Shannon Williams. Policies such as asking people to report their previous wages or discouraging workers or discouraging workers from sharing how much they are being paid with colleagues can keep in place lower pay for African-American women. Until substantial change is made, advocates such as Shannon Williams will continue to bring attention to the wage gap. She said, okay, read the rest of this piece here. um, From fortune.com. Fortune.com. Why black women's wage gap? is a problem for everyone. Okay, read that one. And then CNBC uh, also has a article from today. Uh, Black women make nearly $1 million less than white men during their careers. Black women make nearly $1 million less than uh, white men during their careers. This is from CNBC.com, August 3rd, 2021. Uh, Tuesday, August 3rd, is Black Women's Equal Pay Day. It marks the additional 214 days that Black women must work to catch up with uh, what white non Hispanic men earned last year. In essence, Black women must work 500 and signed days to make what white men made in 365 days. Okay, now on average. Black women are currently paid 63 cents on every dollar paid to non Hispanic white men for full time working African American women. For full time working African American women, uh, this amounts to a median wage gap of $2,900 a month, $24,110 a year, and $946,000 over a 40 year career. So, over a 40 year career, Based upon the latest statistics, African-American women make $964,000 less. Uh, So read this one uh, also. That's almost a million, okay? And then uh, African-American men make about, I think it's about 80 cents on the dollar that the average white man makes, that the average white male makes. Black women make nearly $1 million less than white men during their careers. So read this piece here from uh, CNBC.com. All right, uh, I want to go to uh, Simone Biles. We'll go to that clip from Simone Biles. So Simone Biles bounced back. I, I, you know, I was up late. I was working. I was editing videos, doing work after last night's show, and uh, it was going to start about 4:45 at 445 Eastern standard time in, uh, in the U S Eastern standard time, uh, in, in there in Tokyo. And I went to bed about four 30. So I recorded it. I still got to go back and watch it. Okay. Simone Biles bounces back with bronze on balance beam. Okay. Let's go to this clip.
3: Nice. I mean, Simone Biles. Uh, She did it. Delivered, honey. She did it. It was remarkable. She came into the competition. She got a bronze medal on the balance beam. By the way, SG, that final just wrapped up. I was in the audience with a whole bunch of people who were watching. We were all, it was like we were all nervous wrecks, but <laughs> we got a little video. Uh, we wanted Simone to know that we were there rooting her on, and um, she and Suny were down on the floor. It was really cool. Okay. But by the way, SG, right now, they are on their way over here in a van. The whole crew, <laughs> the whole
5: entire <laughs> I hope you got them a police escort so they can hurry, hurry. And I swear I saw I was watching live, I swear I saw
3: someone look up at you, I know she gave you a a, a wave. Oh, she did. She was so sweet. And I was, you know, she was nervous, but she's going to come here and tell us all about it. She did it. She did it. She did it.
0: All right. All right. So Simone Biles did it. Okay. Stop the clip, please. Stop the clip, please. Okay. Simone Simone Biles did it. And... uh, Stop the clip, please. Thank you. So Simone Biles did it. Uh, She won a bronze medal on the uh, balance beam, okay? And she said, I didn't expect a medal today. I did not expect a medal today. I just wanted to go out there and do this for me. And that's exactly what I did, Simone Biles said after the competition. Now, um... She got a score of a fourteen, so she took bronze. Um, Widely considered the world's best gymnast, Simone Biles moved smoothly and precisely through her routine, barely wobbling, and smiled broadly as she landed on the mat. Uh, When it concluded, she waved and blew a kiss at photographers and the crowd, and hugged teammates and competitors alike. Okay, now. Uh, Biles ties. She now ties the record for the most Olympic medals won by a U.S. gymnast. Team USA tweeted shortly after she bagged the the bronze medal. She scored 14.0. And here's what you're up here here on the balance beam. Now, she said it's been a very long week. Uh, It's been a very long five years. Simone Biles said it's been it's been a very long week. It's been a very long five years. She said, I didn't expect a medal today. I just wanted to go out there and do this for me. And that's exactly what I did. Now, um, okay, those watching on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, the African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael and Hotel, keep watching. We're going to keep broadcasting. If you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network, uh, dollar sign the AHN Show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN Show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. This helps us keep doing the research and uh, stay on the air and keep broadcasting. Uh, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and uh, register for uh, my new 10 week online course, From the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and uh, Black Power. That meets on Saturdays, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. All right. Uh, remember, right now is correct. Wrong behavior is not over till we win. What kind of forever? We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Stand by, everybody. Stand by. All right. Uh, this is our official Cash App account. Dollar sign. The A H N Show S H O W through Cash App, and it, it will show my name there and say Michael, so you can support us there. Uh, stand by. We're going to keep going. We're out of time on nine ten a.m. Superstation WFDF uh let's see here okay let's go back to the story here of uh uh simone biles so let's bring this back up all right if we go back and look at this article here from um Uh, nbc news so simone biles said it's been a it's been a very long five years it's been a very long five years uh she said speaking in a gymnastic uh center after the event she said quote i didn't expect a medal today i just wanted to go out there and do this for me and that's exactly what i did now she stunned spectators last week by withdrawing uh, during the team gymnastics final, she said the emotional toll of the Tokyo games, not a physical injury prompted her withdrawal. She said the, uh, emotional toll of the Tokyo games, not a physical injury prompted, uh, her withdrawal. Now, uh, speaking Tuesday, uh, Biles said she had been evaluated by medical professionals daily. She also had two sessions with a sports psychologist while in Tokyo, which she said had helped ease her mind. Okay. She had two sessions with a sports psychologist in Tokyo, which which she said helped ease her mind. And once again, you know, Simone Biles has brought attention to mental health for athletes especially for olympic athletes and the need for them to uh pay attention to their mental health and know when they should not compete uh she said then just focusing on the beam since i don't twist and all really helped okay because doing the balance beam is different than doing the uneven bars or something like that or floor exercises. You don't do a lot of twisting uh as much as as uh with the balance beam. Now, Simone Biles said that she found out her aunt had recently passed away unexpectedly and that it really hurt. uh It, it, it had been really hard. OK, so this is something we found out today. She's also dealing with a death in the family as well. She found out her aunt aunt had recently passed away unexpectedly and that it had really been hard earlier. She had revealed she was still suffering from the twisties. And she said she literally cannot tell up from down. She literally cannot tell up from down, but there was no sign of any such anxiety as she performed on Tuesday. Now, when she was asked how the bronze uh, medal compared to past metals she said that that it was definitely sweeter that it was definitely sweeter she said i'll cherish this a lot more um she said i'll cherish this one a lot more and the Huffington post had an article dealing uh with that topic also and what she said that she would cherish this one uh a lot more and uh, we're going to pull that one up from the Huffington post here in just a second um, all right. She said, I'll cherish this a lot more. She said, I, I I would like to dedicate it to all the team USA for helping me and reaching out and supporting me. It's, it just meant the world. It just meant the world. Okay. So um, we have that story from uh, NBC News. And then Simone Biles went on to say, um, previously, she said this uh, statement on Friday, last Friday. For anyone saying I quit, I didn't quit. Okay. And we talked about this uh, on yesterday's show. For anyone saying I quit, I didn't quit. My mind and body are simply not in sync, as you can see here. Simone Biles wrote Friday in an Instagram post. That'd be Friday. Uh, July 30th, Uh, she said, quote, I don't think you realize how dangerous this is on hard competition surface, nor do I have to explain why I put health first. Physical health is mental health. Physical health is mental health. So check out this uh, piece here from uh, NBC News. Simone Biles bounces back, wins bronze on balance beam. All right. Now there was a. Uh, There was an article from Black Enterprise that talked about her aunt passing. Uh, Simone Biles' aunt died while she braved pressures, while she braved pressures of Tokyo Olympics. Uh, And it says here, uh, in what seemed like the most trying week of her career uh superstar gymnastics greatest of all time simone biles caught a case of the twisties and pulled out of several olympic uh competitions to tend to her mental health before she finally conquered the balance beam and secured uh a bronze medal during the tokyo 2021 olympics And to add insult to injury, to to her injured soul, to add insult to her injured soul, Simone Biles was peppered with hate by some who thought she was punking out on the international stage by opting out of competing. But in the midst of it all, supporters swooped in. In the midst of it all, supporters swooped in to fill her heart with words of love support and courage. Okay. But as if that wasn't enough, Simone Biles received the devastating news that her aunt on her father's side unexpectedly passed away. According to people magazine, Um, Simone Biles coach uh, said that's, that was another, that was another one. I was like, Oh my God, this week needs to be over. Okay. Now, um, uh, and she's, and her coach went on to say, and she said, I just need some time. I said, you, uh, she said, her coach went on to say, and she said, I just need some time. I said, you call me, you call me, text me. If you need anything, I'll be here. Whatever, uh, that is. She called her parents. She said, there's nothing I can do from over here. So I'm just going to finish my week and when I get home, we'll deal with it, end quote. Um, Okay, so she's also dealing with the passing of uh, her aunt as well, all right? So it's been uh, a very traumatic uh, two weeks for her, but she has paid attention to her mental health, gotten help that she needed. And she's been able to bounce back and persevere. So our condolences to her family as well. And, um, you know, she, she did a fantastic job on the balance beam. Now there was also an article from, uh, Huffington post. It's one from Huffington post that I saw. And she talked about the importance of this bronze medal and how it was different than the other medals she's won. Now this is her seventh medal. She ties the record for the most uh, uh, medals for a gymnast. Simone Biles, I'll treasure this one a lot more after everything I have been through. I'll treasure this one a lot more after everything that I've been through, and uh, she says I was proud of myself. She says I was proud of myself just to go out there after what I've been through. Uh, she said this after she won the uh, after she won the bronze. She told that to Reuters, uh, Reuters Reuters.com. She told the Associated Press, I had nerves, but I felt pretty good. She said, uh, regarding the bronze medal, she said, I'll treasure this one a lot more after everything I've been through. Now, the color of the medal seemed irrelevant after uh, Simone Biles with seven medals tied Shannon Miller for uh, the most won by an American gymnast. One of them was a bronze on the beam at the 2016 Rio Olympics. A week has passed since Simone Biles abruptly dropped out of competition after a uh, wonky vault She spoke frankly of her struggles and the pressure and withdrew from the all around and and three of the individual events as well. But she appeared smiling and ready for what could be at least it could be a last moment on the Olympic stage. She said this one is definitely sweeter, referring to the bronze medal. Here's a picture of her smiling with her bronze medal. All right, so. Once again, she's Black Girl Magic, and congratulations to Simone Biles. All right. (laughs) Marlene said that haters are going to always hate. Yes, they will, and they can't do one one hundredth of what (laughs) Simone Biles can do. The best they can do is uh, try to tumble out of bed in the morning. That's the best they can do. Half of them can barely sit up in the morning. That's the only sit-up they do, trying to sit up in the bed in the morning. All right, so read this one here from um Huffington Post, Simone Biles. I'll treasure treasure this one a lot more after everything I have been through. All right, uh, we want to go to this next uh segment here. This is Dennis with Renoko Rashidi. Before we go to that, uh everybody share this broadcasting and social media platforms. Invite your friends to tune in as well. Want to let you know that uh, I have a new uh 10-week online course uh, that I teach on Saturdays. Uh, this is from the civil war to the civil rights movement and black power, uh, 1865 to 1968. Okay. And this picks up basically where the uh, first online course that I teach ancient Kim the Moors and the Maafa understanding the transatlantic slave trade, uh, where that one leaves off. This is a 10 week online course. We do approximately two hours each session. Sometimes we go, sometimes we'll go over. Um, this is Saturdays 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So I do the classes live. All the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch it over and over again, okay? Even after the 10-week course is over with, you still have access and go back and watch the course as much as you want to. You still have access to it. Uh, each class will go through and analyze an approximately 10 year period of history after the Civil War ended. OK. And uh, we go through Reconstruction, 1865 to 1877 and deal with the Jim Crow era and a reversal of rights and uh, of African-Americans and theft of land and the attack on progress. We were making and uh, the lynchings that took place and um, Supreme Court rulings like Williams versus Mississippi in 1898, which. Uh, legalizes poll taxes and literacy tests. And we go through the 20th century and uh, the great migration, 1915 and 1970. And uh, we look at uh, World War I and uh, the red summer 1919 and uh, the universal Negro Improvement Association, uh, uh, Marcus Garvey and creation of the nation of Islam uh, as well. And, and then we go through World War II uh, 1941, 1945, and uh, the New Deal from Franklin Roosevelt, and the Civil Rights Movement, and, and what happened after World War II as well. And we start having the deindustrialization of the inner the city, and the expressways being built running through African American communities. 41,000 miles of U.S. interstate highways, and they're going to run through about 1,600 African American communities, wiping out businesses, wiping out homes. Uh, we go through the Civil Rights Movement. We look at Emmett Till um, and the Montgomery Bus Boycott. We go through the Civil Rights Movement and then through the Black Power Movement as well, and the assassination of Dr. King. We'll also deal with the Kerner Commission report, uh, Commission in 1967, July 1967 came out March 1968, the month before Dr. King was assassinated. So this is a fantastic 10-week online course. You can register right now for. As soon as you register, you can watch last week's session and we also have some bonus content there that you can watch as well, okay? Um, you, you'll get the uh, first three classes of this other 10-week online course I teach, uh, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. In this class, we deal with thousands of years of history and what led up to the Transatlantic Slave Trade taking place and take you through the Transatlantic Slave Trade. This class meets on Sundays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time, and we do the classes live. All the sessions are recorded. So these courses are regularly $130 on sale, $80. And click on register here It takes you to the next page. Just click on enroll, and uh, you can um, click on enroll, and uh, you can uh, register there. As soon as you register, you can start watching the archive content, and you'll be ready for um, uh, classes on Saturday and Sunday. Okay, and we just posted the link here also, so you can register for for the courses. All right, uh, let's, I want to talk about uh, Renoko Rashidi passing away. This took everybody by surprise, um, historian and uh, lecturer and uh, anthropologist, uh, uh, Renoko Rashidi. Uh, uh, Renoko was a friend of mine, and uh, we've had him here on the show before the African History Network show also even on my blog talk radio show even before I started doing radio on 9 10 a.m. in 2016 I had him on my blog talk radio show Um, and he was a brilliant brilliant brother this is a uh, this is a big loss let's pull up a picture here and I want to look at the um, there was an article that I saw today of, um, there's an article from, um, the focus, the focus news dealing with, uh, the passing of Renoko Rashidi. Then we're going to look at, uh, uh, we'll look at the, uh, bio that's on his website also. Okay. So let me, uh, go to his website. Now his website is drrenoko.com, drrenoko.com. and flip his website here you can i think you can still order his books through his website uh let me see right here dr com. and i use uh i use two of Renoco's books in my online class you know i talk about Renoco like every class <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Black Star, the African Presence in Early Europe is um, one of the books I use when we talk about the the, the the history of the Moors. This is one of the books, this is a book Rinoco wrote, fantastic book. I interviewed him about this like in 2014, Black Star, the African Presence in Early Europe. Then also Golden Age of the Moor edited by Dr. Ivan Vassertima. Rinoco has an essay in this book fantastic essay dealing with the history of the Moors, and then also dealing with um Asia where is that book um, and I've got a ton of books here got the I have his book on the uh African presence in early Asia as well. And I referenced that book also in my classes. Oh, right here. Now this one, I think I got this one from him um, a few years ago when he was speaking at the uh, Liberated Minds Black Homeschooling Education Expo in Atlanta. African star over Asia: the Black presence in uh, in the East Africa. African star over Asia: the Black presence in the East by Renoko Rashidi as well. Okay, so this is a brilliant brother. Uh, yeah, he was in the film Happy. Okay, yeah, I just talked to Taiki Grant yesterday. Um, he was one of the people I reached out to to confirm that uh, Renoko had passed away. Tykee is uh, the director of the film Happy. We've had uh, Taki here on the show before. All right, so if we look at this here, here's this website, and there's a uh, statement from the family here, August 2nd, 2021, from the family of Renoko Rashidi. Let's blow this up here. And I, I knew he had passed away before I posted, you know, a few hours before I posted about it. Uh, I talked to a couple of people. They said we want to let contact the family and let the family know before we start putting this on social media. So I reached out to people. I talked to Professor Kabahaiwatha coming in yesterday. I talked to uh, Professor Jane Small yesterday, uh, Dr. Ray Winbush. Uh, Tony Broder, uh reached out back to me today because I, I contacted Tony yesterday and he got back with me today. And we talked about this uh, some as well. Uh, family, it is with our most sincere and deepest regret that the family of Dr. Renoko Rashidi announced the sad news that he has transitioned into the ancestral realm on today, August 2nd, 2021. He was on tour in Kemet, Egypt, Uh, doing what he loved most. He will be greatly missed. Please allow his family the time and privacy needed during this difficult moment. Uh, We will be posting more information and updating this website as it becomes available. Okay, Uh, brother brother Yasir Rahotep, brother Vernon, sister Teresa Dobson, sister uh, Althea Cooper. Okay, here's a picture here, Renoco also. Um, Okay, so they have quotes from Renoco here. So they have a bio, okay, Global African Presence Archives. They have a bio here on Renoco. Let's look at his bio. I printed his bio out also because I wanted to go over that today. Then I'm gonna share an excerpt of an interview I did with Renoco. from, uh, this one is 2014. I'm trying to find the full interview from 2017 that I did here on 9, 10 a.m. I'm trying to find that full one because he was speaking, it was promoting him speaking here in Detroit. Uh, I'm trying to find that full, I gotta go through my archives. I have over a thousand episodes of the African History Network show, but, um, Renoko Rashidi is an anthropologist. Let's see how this looks. Okay, let's try to blow this up some more for you all. Let's see. Okay, let's try to get this up. All right, Renoko Rashidi is an anthropologist and historian with a major focus on uh, what he calls the global African presence, the global African presence. That is, Africans outside of Africa before and after enslavement Africans outside of Africa before and after enslavement. He is the author or editor of 22 books, the most recent of which are my global journeys in search of the African presence, Asada Garvey and me, a global African journey for children in 2017 and the black image in antiquity in 2019. Okay. Uh, His other books include Black Star, The African Presence in Early Europe, which is a fantastic book Um, that was published by Books of Africa in London in November 2011. And then also African Star over Asia, The Black Presence in the East, published by Books of Africa in London in November 2012 and revised and reprinted in April 2013. Uncovering the African Past, the Ivan Van Sertema Papers, published by Books of Africa in 2015. His other works include The African Presence in Early Asia, co-edited by uh, Dr. Ivan Van Sertema, and we know Dr. Ivan Van Sertema wrote They Came Before Columbus. Uh, Four of Renoco's works have been published in French, in the French language. Now, as a traveler and researcher, researcher, Dr. Renoco Rashidi, has visited 124 countries. Now, I think it's 120. I think it's at least 125 now. They may have to update that. But at least 124 countries. As a, and, and see, what Renoco did was he took photographs everywhere he went. So he had a personal library. I think last... Interview I did with him, he said it was like thirty five thousand photographs he had taken all around the world, documenting the African presence all around the world. It may be forty thousand photographs now, but it was like thirty five thousand. And on his uh, um, web, on his YouTube, on his Facebook page, he posts all these photographs. Okay, if you go to his um, here on his website, it should connect you to his uh, Facebook page. Okay, but it's Reno Rashidi on uh, I think it's Renoco Rashidi on Facebook. Uh, I'll pull that up because I follow him We're Facebook friends and he ha he has uh uh he has the personal page but he has the fan page also his fan page is let me see where they, okay, which one is his fan page? Yeah, this one right here it was seventy three thousand Uh, It's Renoko Rashidi, but it's a a fan page. Okay, and it has like 73,000. I think this is the right one. It's like 73,000 friends or followers, something like that. Uh, Let me see here. Okay. So, yeah, this one right here. This is his fan page. He's at like 73,000 on the fan page. And uh, 73,000 people like, but it's about almost 100,000 to follow it. Yeah. Okay. So, check that out. Now, let's go back to his bio. Uh, Renoco has, so he's visited at least 124 countries. I, I really think it's one hundred at least 135 now. Uh, as a lecturer and presenter, he has spoken in 67 countries. He's spoken in 67 countries. Renoco has worked with and under some of the most distinguished scholars of the past half century, including Dr. Ivan van Sertema, Dr. John Henrik Clark, Dr. Asa Hilliard, uh, Professor Edward Scobie, Dr. John G. Jackson, Jan Carew, and Dr. Yosef ben Yakunin Dr. Ben. In October 1987, Renoko Rashidi inaugurated the first All-India Dalit uh, Writers Conference in uh uh, Hyderabad, uh, India in 1999, he was the major keynote speaker at the international reunion of the African family in Latin America in Venezuela, uh, Barlovento of Venezuela in 2005, Renoko Rashidi was awarded an honorary doctorate, uh, degree his first by the Amin Ra Theological Society Seminary in Los Angeles. The Amin Ra Theological Seminary in Los Angeles. In October 2010, he was uh, first keynote speaker at the first global nationalities conference in, uh, in Nigeria, okay, uh, Osagbo, Nigeria. In December 2010, he was president and first speaker at the Diaspora Forum at the uh, Fessman Conference in Dakar, Senegal. In 2018, he was named traveling ambassador to the Universal Negro Improvement Association, the UNIA, and African Communities League, RC2020. In 2020, he was named uh, to the curatorial and academic boards of the Pan-African Heritage Museum. He is currently doing major research on the African presence in the museums of the world, the African presence in the museums of the world now as a tour leader he has taken groups to india australia fiji turkey uh, jordan brazil uh, egypt ghana togo benin france belgium etc uh, all throughout africa uh kenya uh, mexico guatemala belize luxembourg uh germany cameroon spain uh R- renoco's major mission in life is to upli- is th- is the upliftment of african people those at home and those abroad those at home and those abroad okay so uh visit his website Dr. Renoco dot com. I think they have information there how you can order his books and everything. Support Renoco and his family. This is a big loss. Um. And let's see. Let's go back to the homepage here. Okay. This is a, so they have updates on uh, his website, drrenoco dot com. Okay. Yeah, they'll have uh, updates here. All right. Uh, I want to go to. Now, there was also this article here from uh, The Focus and somebody sent this to me uh, today. This is written by Olivia Olfen. You can check this out. Also, it talks about Renoco's legacy. The uh, thefocusnews.com or thefocus.news The thefocus.news. The Renoco Rashidi's death announced academic community mourns scholar and historian. This is by Olivia Often uh, from August third, twenty twenty one. I saw a post. Um, Rock Newman and our a Facebook friend I saw a post from Rock Newman because Rock Newman has interviewed um, Renoka before, and Rock and he was posting information uh, clips of like the interviews, etc. So this is an article here about Renoka. Uh, renoca was sixty seven years old. He was born in nineteen fifty four. So check this out also um, from the Focus. Uh, Focus.News. There was a post here that I shared from Tony Browder. Tony and uh, uh, Renoco were good friends, and they've done like lectures together, things like that. Um, they're also both in Hidden Colors 2 as well. They're both in Hidden Colors 2 also. Uh, let's see here. Where's that post? Okay, this one right here, let's see if we can um, bring this up here. All right, so we'll do it like this. I posted this on my fan page. All right, I was trying to get this on Tony's page, but okay, we can do it like this. This was shared from uh Tony Tony Browder's page and he made it public so I can sh- I can share it. Uh Tony Browder said it is a picture of uh Tony and Renoco together. And Tony and I, we were on a, a well, I've had Tony Browder here on the show before a number of times, and I want to bring him back on uh for another interview. But we were Tony and I were on a panel discussion together in Atlanta at the second Black Power Awards. I think that was twenty seventeen, I think it was. Um, uh, we were on a panel discussion dealing with the film Black Friday from director Rick Mathis, and director Rick Mathis was um Uh, he was the um, moderator of the panel and um, Tony and I were both in, in uh, one of the black Friday films, but he said, uh, Tony said uh, I lost my brother Renoko Rashidi yesterday. We lost a giant yesterday as the world mourns the loss of brother Renoko. Let us remember, let us remember him as a brilliant scholar who dedicated his life documenting the contributions of African greatness worldwide. And you know, Renoko wasn't, wasn't one of the scholars that want to do all these debates and all this stuff on YouTube. And he, he wasn't one to talk negatively about African people and things like this. Renoko was dedicated to the upliftment of African people. He wasn't, He Renoko was not for things that divided African people. He was a Pan-Africanist. He was not for things that divided our people. He wasn't into debating over ideologies and all this stuff. Okay, he and he 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 used his work to uplift African people all around the world and show us the connection. Of African people around the world as well. Uh, He said, I share this interview, uh, Renoko and I did on June 20th. And ask that you did June 20th, uh, 2021, ask that you think of him fondly and wish him safe passage as he makes his way into the ancestral realm. Peace and blessings to the family of Renoko Rashidi. So that was a post from uh, Tony Browder, and I shared that on our uh, Facebook fan page, uh, the African History Network. Okay, and uh, here's the uh, you, you can watch the interview there, and follow Anthony T. Browder on Facebook. Also, Anthony T. Browder on Facebook as well. All right, now here is a uh, let me pull this up here, and I had to I had to go into my archives, and because uh, I've had laptops that died on me, things like this, I have. A number of external hard drives. I had to go into my archives to find some of these pictures um, that I that I had, uh, you know, in promoting the interviews I did with Renoco and things like this. Here's one right here, and that has his book "Black Star: The African Presence in Early Europe," and he's in the uh, "Hidden Colors 2 documentary. I want to go to an excerpt of an interview I did with Renoco in uh this one is from i think this is from 2014 i was looking at one different 2017 i got to find the full file so maybe tomorrow show i can share that one from 2017 but um in this one here we discuss uh the black madonnas in uh europe the black madonnas in europe uh this is from uh this is from April seventeenth, twenty fourteen, on the African History Network show. Okay, this was even This was when I was on Blog Talk Radio. So this is even before I got on the Empowerment Radio Network and before I had a, a, a eight channel mixer. I have a twelve channel mixer now. This is before I had an eight channel mixer. This is before I had a a Shura microphone. I think I was using a headset at this time, plugging into the laptop. Okay, so the sound quality is much better. I've come a long way since Blog Talk Radio days. Alright, but let's let's go to this clip here. Came to be
6: known in history as the Chevalier de Saint George or the Saint Georges.
0: And this is hey, Let me back it up a little bit. Uh okay, let's back it up a little bit. you, you did butcher it, brother.
6: Oh, Joseph no. Boulogne, Joseph Boulogne, oh. and Joseph Boulogne came to be known in history as the Chevalier de Saint George. Saint George's, and this is an yeah. African who was born in Guadeloupe in the Caribbean on the mm-hmm. um, December twenty fifth, sorry, December twenty fifth, seventeen forty five, and he mm-hmm. became one of the great men in um, what's called the Golden Age of French history. And you have a number of people mm-hmm. like that who. Of intellectual ferment, for example, I believe it's 1794 where you have the French Revolution, and the Haitian Revolution is a part of that, you know. So, slavery was abolished, you know, in all of the French colonies, and it wasn't, I think, if I have my history correctly, it was um, reinstituted as a result of the rise of Napoleon Bonaparte. When people Mm -hmm. talk about folks like Robespierre and Marie Antoinette and Alexander Dumas, all of that comes out of this, this period in French history, but the basis of it, I don't think there's any doubt, is the exploitation of enslaved Africans, and this will ultimately lead, or actually it's already in the process of doing it, to the exploitation of Africa itself, so that slavery is abolished, or enslavement is abolished, if you prefer that term. And it becomes more an issue, a direct issue of French colonialism in Africa. Of all the colonial powers, the French grabbed the most of Africa, closely followed by the British.
4: Wow, wow. Um, You know, uh, when I also, I think now, correct me if I'm wrong, does that period of time, does that also have something to do with... philosophers and them trying to an age of, of reason and uh critical thinking something like that does, does that have something also to do with that period of time well the greatest of the french philosophers during that
6: period of time is and remember this is all new to me too i'm learning the oh, whole process the greatest of the french philosophers is both there, and then yes. you're followed by a, a whole nother you know era from the time that um the Chevalier de Saint-Georges died. And by the way, the word Chevalier means knight in France. So he became a knight. <laughs> his father was a, a French nobleman, and his mother apparently was the most beautiful woman, the mu- most beautiful African woman in the island of Martin I'm um, sorry, not Martinique, Guadeloupe. And <laughs> um, so at a young age, uh, Joseph Boulogne goes to France, and because of his father's status, he receives the superior. Education. You know, he was able to excel in many, many things. So on the one hand, his race is not a complete impediment, but he was only able to rise so far. Just to mm-hmm. get to your question, but add a bit more information, he's also known as uh, uh, the Black Mozart. And Mozart yes. actually had to come to him and ask him for a job. You know, Joseph Boulogne was the head of the French, I think the French opera. And, and Mozart actually came and asked him for a job. Um, Joseph Boulogne was an associate of Marie Antoinette. He set the, the, um, the trends for fashion. He's just a, a really remarkable person. So he dies around 1800, 1795, 1794, 1800, and 1795, that period of time. And right after that, you have the Dumas family. You have these, this family of African-descendant people from Haiti. And, of course, Alexander Dumas is the person who wrote The Three Musketeers, the Count of Monte Cristo, and *The Man in Iron Mask. And he is a contemporary of people like Victor Hugo. Victor Hugo is Charles Dickens of France. Victor Hugo wrote uh, a book which was called uh, Notre Dame, which came to be known in history as The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And he also wrote the book Les Miserables where he talks about Jean Valjean, the man who was arrested as a young person for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his family and was given like a 20-year prison sentence, something like that, and who eventually got out of prison and spent most of the rest of his life trying to uh, duck and dodge from his criminal past. And so there's a discussion about class differences as well between the haves and the have-nots. And he's a contemporary of Emil Zola. And Emil Zola was the person who wrote about a famous trial called the Dreyfus Trial. And so all of these, you know, people were talking about the status, not necessarily of black people per se, but the status of class and the haves and the have-nots. So all of this is a part of this period that Joseph Boulogne is said to have lived. And the lesson, I suppose, is, that comes out of this for me is that all history is interconnected, just to to make a fantastic leap, for example, and something that I'm learning right now and trying to incorporate in my work is the fact that the civil rights movement in the United States, what we call the U.S. Civil Rights Movement, beginning in the mid-1950s that led to the Black Power Movement in the 1960s -hmm. cannot be separated from the African liberation movement in Africa. That Martin Luther King was a keen observer of the African liberation struggle. That Dr. King went to Africa several times, and Mm -hmm. so did Coretta Scott
2: King, for that matter. Correct. Dr. King was in Africa at the time of um, the independence of Ghana. Mm -hmm. Martin Luther
6: King went to (laughs) Jamaica and spoke glowingly at the shrine of Marcus Garvey. And so there was a black power movement in Australia. There was a Garvey movement in Australia. And so I guess what I'm trying to do is, in a sense, with all of this is connect the dots and to show that black history is everybody's history, that you can't separate one from the other, and that all of these phenomena are interconnected.
4: Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I, I don't know if you know Professor Manu and Pim uh, out of California family. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, yeah, cause he, he has some, yes, I've done some interviews with him dealing with the distortion of the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Man, Dr. Mm-hmm. King is one of the most misunderstood people in history. His legacy has been totally distorted, and um, a lot of people don't know about him studying African history, him being a keen observer of the, the uh, uh, of Africa's liberation movements, things like this. That this, that, you know, totally not talked about when, when we talk about Dr. King. Um, uh, also, very quickly here in, in this article, you also talk about. Uh, code nowhere nowhere law of blacks um talk about that a little bit because when we hear about the French we hear about Paris France and things like this but we don't hear about them oppressing African people that much I guess those who really study African history we know about French and the colonies things like this but in general you really don't hear about this uh, about the French
6: well no not, I suppose not you hear stories about people like Josephine Baker or people mm-hmm. like Richard Wright and Langston Hughes, all of them came to France and lived in France, one of Richard Wright's daughters. And of course, for those who don't know Richard Wright, we're talking about the author of books like Black Boy, Native mm-hmm. Son, classical African-American literature, you might say. So right. in many ways, I think a lot of African-Americans at least have viewed France and Paris in particular as a haven Uh against white supremacy. And I suppose for African-Americans, that may be true to some extent. You know, I've rarely encountered uh, you know, overt racism in France. I've been coming here for over 10 years now. And um, I like it here. It's a good experience. Lots of Africans <laughs> here, lots of museums, great public transportation. Expensive, but beyond that, it's not a bad place, but for Africans from the continent of Africa itself, or Africans who don't have money Africans who don't have what are, what are generally known as papers you know it's a hell on earth and let me add to that each colonial power employed different techniques mm-hmm. for dealing with their colonial subjects and one of the things that the french did was to incorporate a sense of french identity mm-hmm. however false and frivolous that might be You know, I meet people, even now, from countries like, not Democratic Republic of Congo, but Congo-Brazzaville, or French Congo, you know, or or Gabon, or Central African Republic, countries that have been, at least on paper, independent for 50 years or more, who go around saying, I'm French. You don't encounter and brothers from Jamaica, or Nigeria, or Ghana, you know, um, as poor as some of these countries are. Although the material wealth is, you know, should make them very wealthy. You don't hear these sisters and brothers going around saying, I'm English. But the French did a marvelous job. You know, when I say marvelous, I'm saying that with some degree of sarcasm. I'm applauding my enemy to an extent. They did a, a wonderful job in incorporating a sense of French identity. And so people, in many cases, feel like their loyalty is to France. And then the Dutch did their own particular job. And the Germans and the Belgians and the Portuguese and the Spanish. For example, the Portuguese developed a group of people called the Assimilados, you know, who were largely the offspring of the Portuguese and Africans, and put them in charge. And so the French are, are very similar to that. The French were some of the most effective colonizers, very, very racist, and a lot of us just don't know about that. And that's something that troubles me a great deal. You know, I spend a lot of time on Facebook, as well as you know. And one mm-hmm. of the things that strikes me, in fact, I I should do, I, you know, I've got several other articles coming up uh, soon in the Land of Black Star. But okay. I see their format. And one of the, the things that they do is they might say 10 you know, great Africans who they need to make a movie about, or the five Africans right. who we need to emulate, or five classical civilizations that weren't in Africa but were black, things like that. But well, one of the right. things, if I ever get the time, I would like to write is, like, th- what are the greatest myths of Africa? And I don't know how I jump to this point, but one of these myths <laughs> might be that Africa is not named after a Roman general. Mm-hmm. Or that right. the exactly. Africans are scattered around the world is not because of of Pangea. Right. You know, things, things of that and the other thing is, I mean, you know, you know, get right. up, I was going to make, and I want to say this, and then I'll shut up for a moment. I guess I'm sleep deprived. Is um. Oh my God! I <laughs> It's almost four o'clock in the morning. Um, you were talking brother. about the myths. Yeah, I was uh, talking about the uh, myth, okay, there's Africa. one myth in particular that I wanted to introduce. I guess it'll come back to me, brother. Sorry
4: about that. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. But Tanji is a good one. I can email you something. Yeah, Africa's uh, Yeah, Africa name the Here we go here, we go. here we go. Here we go. Here yeah. we go.
6: I got it. Maybe the thing that frustrates me on Facebook the most is when I make a post. I didn't know that. No, they don't say I didn't know that. They typically say they didn't tell me that. We didn't learn this in school as if it's the responsibility of other people to teach us our history. That we have become so intellectually lazy, let's be real, and so psychologically. Mm -hmm.
4: College level, you go through college and then you get your degree, you get your bachelor's degree, you get your master's degree, and you don't learn this information. And, and, and you thought that you had a good education. You graduated from Princeton or Notre Dame or Wayne State University. You thought you had a good education, and you ain't learn any of this. And it becomes shocking. You know, let's not just look at high school level. Let's look at college level. Okay, you pay all this money, and, and, and you ain't you didn't learn any of this stuff. Okay, that can be, become very shocking to people. You know, luckily it was it was in college where I started really studying African history. Okay, so I got you know at least some of this information, and I studied on my own. So when I took my first African studies classes, I was talking about things that the professors didn't know about. That shocked the hell out of me, <laughs> <laughs> but but still I still learned things from them. But you know, I was dropping stuff on them that they didn't know. So uh, I, I think.
6: You can't teach what you don't know, mm-hmm. and for Absolutely. the most part, we don't know what we don't know until we begin to know it. I sound a little mm-hmm. bit like a philosopher now, but no, it's very very true. And all of this is a yeah. part of the African liberation process. I think Garvey mm-hmm. said it best in terms of freeing your mind, you know, emancipate yourself from mental slavery. Nobody can free us but ourselves that Bob Marty later picked up on and incorporated into the lyrics of a song. And so I I just think, in a sense, I suppose, that in spite of everything that we've gone through, that we're here to have this conversation and talk about these things. Not only, you know, is it, um, the other thing, it it can generate a tremendous amount of anger, Mm -hmm. you know, and even Mm -hmm. hatred. You know, once you begin to realize what has happened to us and you didn't know about it, you know, I remember when I was a university freshman or sophomore, and I began to read about lynchings, and I was just furious, and if you had asked me what motivated me at that time, I would have said hatred for white people. But fortunately, I went through that phase, and I was able to channel that energy, and that's another message that I think that we need to give our people. If you're just going to be angry, you know, you're not effective. But if you're able to channel that anger, that excitement, that emotion in a positive direction that will uplift your community, then ultimately it turns out to be a good thing. So people like you and the work that you're doing um, in an unorthodox fashion, putting this information out there, it's invaluable.
4: Oh, thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. We, and we appreciate you, definitely. Uh, we're going to shift gears here into this other article that you wrote. And then we're, we're going to wrap it up. So uh, we're, we're going to wrap up over oh, okay. Don't worry about that. Oh, okay. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, the, Professor Kaba Kaminé, also known as Booker T. Coleman, I do a show with him every Wednesday night, okay? Um, and uh, he, he, he uh, gave me this quote, and uh, also Dr. David M. Hotef, who wrote The First Americans Were Africans, documented evidence. When I had him on about three weeks ago, he, he gave me this quote also. This is from Napoleon Bonaparte. And uh, Napoleon said, uh, quote, my decision, the authority of the blacks in Saint Dominique Dominique or Haiti is not so much based on considerations <clears> of <throat> commerce and money as on the need to block forever the march of the blacks in the world. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, I'm familiar with it. You know, I
6: posted it okay. a few times on Facebook myself. I like to find the okay. source of it.
4: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I've got to ask Brother Copper where he got it from. Uh, uh, to see what, and, and also, the David M. Hotel. It's interesting they both had that, so i have to see where they got that from. But I find that very interesting. Um, your article, March 19th, uh, on atlantablackstar.com. And everybody, please check out the website. They have tremendous information. I've talked to uh, Brother Andre Moore, I think it is, with Atlanta Blackstar. I'm, I'm going to be doing some things with them also. But this article here, Invasion, theft, Rape, Murder the aboriginal holocaust in Tasmania. Um, you know, we don't hear a lot about Tasmania and we don't hear, uh, even we hear even less about the Africans in Tasmania, but, but, but tell us, uh, you know, briefly about this. Well, there is a place called
6: Tasmania. <coughs> it's not mm-hmm. just something that you hear in cartoons. Tasmania is, uh, yeah, is an island off the southeast coast of Australia. Australia is the largest inhabited continent in the world, permanently inhabited continent. Antarctica would officially qualify, but Antarctica doesn't have a, a history of, uh, of human population, mostly the people there who are scientists. People in Antarctica today are scientists, but Tasmania is an island about the size of Ireland or West Virginia, and it's been inhabited for at least the last 35,000 years, I suspect more, by black people, who some would <laughs> say are the descendants of Africa. Everybody's the descendants of Africa. And that they, um, these short-statured black people, nappy hair, happy to be nappy hair, settled there, and lived in what seems to be peace and harmony. I think there are two groups of black folk there. I think one is called the Palawa P-A-L-L-L-W-A. No, I think it's P-A-L-L-A-W-A. And I think the other group was Pakana I believe that's the name, P-A-K-A-N-A. And they lived in peace and harmony. They had a very, very basic and rudimentary human technology. For example, they've never found any evidence of farming there, as we know it today, or no evidence of um, fishing or even the domestication of fire. So these sisters and brothers were isolated there, perhaps 10,000, I don't know how many. And then around 1800, the British came. Actually, they came in the 17th century. You have a man named a Dutchman, named Abel Jansen Tasman. He settled there, or landed there. And that's who um, the island is named after, Abel Jansen Tasman. And after that, it was called Tasmania. And then the French came, and he had friends, the French. They say that with great sarcasm in the 18th century, and then the real catastrophe came when the British came, and this is around 1800, 1801. And the British took the land. Tasmania was established as a British prison settlement, or prison colony, and so the worst, the most horrendous of the British criminals were taken to Tasmania, not the mainland Australia itself, and they got loose. And they slaughtered those sisters and brothers. And then you know, a conscious decision was made just to take the land for the British. The British even denied the humanity of these people. And so most of them from around 1801 to 1876 were rounded up, killed, and a few remnants uh, were put in a, a what could be called a concentration camp at a place called Oyster Cove, which I visited. And the reason I wanted to write that article in particular, you know, I talked to Andre a few months ago, and he asked me to start writing for the Atlanta Black Star, and I was honored to do it. I think it's a great um, publication or a great website. Yes, it is. um, Mm -hmm. A great source is because I wanted to, just as I was mentioning a few minutes ago, in my sleep delirium to help destroy some of the mythology around it, so that people have been going around saying all the Tasmanians were wiped out. And I used to say that until I knew better. Then I went to Australia and I went to Tasmania and I met them, and they weren't wiped out. All the full bloods were killed or eventually died. But in this process, the British captured uh, Aboriginal Tasmanian women, and I know some people object to the word Aboriginal, so I won't use it, I'll say Indigenous or Black Tasmanians. They captured some of the women and used them as sexual slaves. And children were born from those unions so that the Aboriginal, oh, there I go again, the indigenous Tasmanians of today are a highly mixed group of people with a lot of problems. You know, their children were taken away from them so that you have issues like uh, big issues, domestic violence, um, <clears throat> substance abuse. You know, you have the stolen generations. These are the generations of indigenous children who were taken away from their parents and raised as slaves or in a slave-like condition. And these things haunt the sisters and brothers in Tasmania today. So it was an article that I was really pleased to write. It's really a rehash of articles I've been writing over the last 20 years. And I'm happy to say that that was the first article of mine that was
0: published by the Atlanta Black Star. Right, right. All right, All right so we're gonna pause it right there. Uh uh, we're gonna wrap wrap this show up today. And what I'm gonna do is we'll we'll share some more of this interview that I did with Renoca Rashidi. This this interview was from um April seventeenth, twenty fourteen. did this interview April seventeenth, twenty fourteen. Renoca Rashidi uh the black Madonnas of Europe. OK, I have this on YouTube. It's um, also, you know, we have all these shows archived on blog talk radio. That's where I upload. I've had blog talk radio. I've had this channel. I have had I've had the blog talk radio channel since 2010. I think it is. So we have over a thousand archived episodes there of the African History Network show. I've interviewed everybody from. Um, Darren DeWitt Henson, who was LEM on Soul Food. Now he's on the show, The Family Business on BT. I've interviewed Renoko Rashidi, Dr. Leila Africa, Bernadette Stannis, Thelma from Good Times. Uh, of course, Dr. Leonard Jeffries and uh, Professor James Small, Professor Hiawatha kamane Dr. Ricketti. I mean, I've interviewed some of everybody. So uh, we'll share some more of this on the show tomorrow uh while that interview was playing I was uh showing you some articles that um I was showing you some articles that uh, Renoco has written and you can read these we have this is at uh dot com so the last one he was talking about invasion theft rape murder the Aboriginal holocaust in Tasmania. That was from march 19 2014 march 19 2014 and then uh you have uh this one is a fantastic article june 1st 2014 moors saints knights and kings the african presence in medieval and renaissance europe and in this uh, article he also talks about his. now this is saint maurice right here This is a picture of saint maurice who became the patron saint of germany he was a moor um, in this article, he also talks about his, uh, and now this is Tariq. Okay. Uh, uh, Tariq Ibn Ziyad, um, and Jebo Tariq, uh, Tariq's mountain is who it, it, that's who the rock of Gibraltar is named after Jebotariq. Tariq. Okay. Tariq's mountain Tariq Ibn Ziyad, uh, the bold, uh, in 711 AD, the bold Tariq crossed the straits and disembarked near a rock, uh, promontory uh which from the day which from that day since has borne his name Jabal Tariq, Tariq's mountain, or Gibraltar, the Rock of Gibraltar is named after uh, the African general Tariq Ibn Ziyat, Tariq Ibn Ziyat, who was a Moor. Um on the in August seven eleven AD, Tariq won Paramount victory over the opposing European army. On the eve of the battle, Tariq is alleged to have roused his troops with the following words: "My brethren, the enemy is before you. Let's show this here. My brethren, the enemy is before you. The sea is behind. Whither would you? Whither would ye fly? Follow your general. I am resolved." either to lose my life or to trample on the prostrate king of the Romans. Okay, so uh, check out this article also. This is a fantastic article. I've posted this a number of times throughout the years on our fan page, the African History Network. Uh, Moors, Saints, Knights, and Kings, the African Presence in Medieval and Renaissance Europe. Um, And we'll talk about this information in the coming days. Uh, This one here, Joseph Ballone, uh, about joseph balone um uh joseph balone the Chevro- uh, uh, chevalier uh, de Saint George's of France. That's from April thirteenth, twenty fourteen for Atlanta dot com. Now there was another one that I pulled up uh oh this one here this deals with the world of uh Sakanoya uh uh no, Tamaram Tamaramro uh Black Shogun of early Japan. Okay, the Black Shogun of early Japan, and this uh, shows the Black presence in early Japan. That's from star dot com. Also, there was uh, one article here I've talked about a number of times before, especially during African American History Month and during like uh, uh, April when we do with the assassination of Dr. King. Uh, this one here is. How steel sharpens steel. How steel sharpens steel. The connection between the civil rights movement and African independence movements. And this is something that we'll deal with in um, my my new ten week online course from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, eighteen sixty five to nineteen sixty eight. And this deals with how the on the um, the civil rights movement was taking place at the same time as the African liberation movement on the continent of Africa. And we were watching their movement, they were watching ours. And African nations were declaring their independence from uh, their colonizers, European colonizers starting with Ghana in 1957. Okay, starting with Ghana in 1957. Now, here is, I I have the picture, I gotta see which hard drive is on, which computer is on. But it's a picture of Dr. King and Kwame Nkrumah together, 1957. If we look at this article here, uh, where is it? Um, this article I have pulled up. It's from um, Birth of a New Nation, Martin Luther King on Ghana and it shows a picture of dr king with uh kwame nkrumah uh prime minister of ghana in 1957. okay this one right here so ghana wins his independence in 1957 from great britain dr king goes to ghana to celebrate with kwame nkrumah he goes back to ghana each year on the anniversary of ghana's independence uh this picture right here see dr king studied africa he kept up with the developments on the continent of Africa and the African liberation movement. Martin Luther King Jr. And Ghana prime minister Kwame Nkrumah in 1957. Um, and th- th- this article is birth of a new nation, Martin Luther King on Ghana. This is from uh Philly, uh, Philadelphia tribune, Philly tribe, phillytrib.com. Okay. Um, Dr. King, uh, in 1957 said Ghana has something to say to us. It says to us first that the oppressor never voluntarily gives freedom to the oppressed. The oppressor never freely get the pre- oppressor never voluntarily gives freedom to the oppressed. You have to work for it. Dr. King stated upon his return to the United States in 1957, the birth of a new nation, uh, uh it, the birth of a new nation sermon at Alabama's historical Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, Dr. King went on to say and if and if Nkrumah and the people of the Gold Coast or Ghana had not stood up persistently revolting against the system, it would still be a colony of the British Empire. Freedom is never given to anybody for the oppressor has you in domination because he plans to keep you there and he never voluntarily gives it up and that is where the strong resistance comes privilege privileged classes never give up their privileges without strong resistance end quote invited by ghana's newly elected prime minister kwame nkrumah dr king's trip uh was coordinated by small by small group by small groups of african americans including westchester born uh shaney university and pennsylvania alum bayard rustin uh for dr king his visit to ghana proved to be a pivotal to be pivotal as his worldview evolved okay so read this article here uh birth of a new nation martin luther king on ghana okay january ninth, 2017. all right uh, and then there was, uh, also this article here, distinguished, uh, Africans in the European resistance, a, a European Renaissance, the Distingu- distinguished Africans in the European Renaissance, part one of a series of great African men in history. This is from September 28th, 2014, Renoko Rashidi for Atlanta, com. All right, look, we have to get out of here. Uh, be sure to register for the 10 week online course that I teach. On Saturdays, uh, this is from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968, 1865 to 1968. And we, we also deal with the African Liberation Movement on the continent of Africa and how these move, movements were connected. Uh, we deal with history from 1865 the last year, the Civil War and the 13th Amendment and slavery ending. We go throughout Reconstruction, 1865 to 1877, through the Jim Crow era, late 1890s, and Plessy versus Ferguson, 1896, into the new century. Um, We deal with the Great Migration of 1915 to 1970. Six million African-Americans migrate out the South and up North. Uh, We deal with World War I, World War II, the Red Summer 1919, uh, the impact of the uh, Great Pandemic, the Spanish Flu Pandemic of 1918, 1919, and 1920 when the u s loses six hundred seventy five thousand Americans to the spanish food pandemic pandemic the great pandemic of nineteen eighteen we go through World War one, what happens after World War one and we deal with the G i bill the new deal all of that deindustrialization of the inner city building of the uh suburbs uh African Americans being locked out of a lot of these government programs to buy homes in the suburbs as well. Uh, we deal with the uh, civil rights movement, black power movement. Okay. So visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and scroll down the page. You'll see the information for uh, the radio show. Our radio show, we have six days a week. And uh, click right here to register here. It takes you to the next page. Click on enroll. As soon as you uh, enroll, you can start watching uh, archive content that we have. And uh, the class meets on Saturdays, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, And we do the sessions live. You can watch from around the world also, okay? And you can see me. I can't see you, so you can be in pajamas what have you. You you don't have to worry about getting dressed up or anything like that. Click right here on Enroll. As soon as you register, you can start watching content. Classes on sale, $130, regularly uh, $80. All right, we just posted a link here. You can register for that. Uh, we have to get out of here. And also, if you want to support the African History Network, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting. We're here six days a week. Um, this helps us pay some of the bills, et cetera, finance the show. All right. And this is our official Cash App account, dollar sign the AHN show, S H O W. Um, and it shows my name, Michael, and it shows my picture there. These other ones here are fake African History Network cash app accounts. All right, we have to get out of here. Remember, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now, it's corrects wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We'll count it forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace.